Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> uh, you guys must be the real Christians, because isn't there a football game yeah. right now? So you guys are the real Christians <laughs> coming to church uh, during the Vikings game this morning. But uh, as Stephen said, my name is Brooke, and we get the honor of being the youth pastors here at Homestead, and we love it so much. So shout out to all of our youth kids. We just love you all so much. And we just see it as such a high honor to get to do um, ministry here. And again, we just, we love it so much. It's a blast. Um, anyways, before we get started today, I wanted to introduce uh, my family to you today. So you know Steven. We actually met when we were in middle school, when we were 12, on the school bus. And he's been my friend ever since. Uh, we got married when we were 19. Yes, very young. We know. <laughs> um, we didn't waste any time, though. Actually, I just don't think we were knew, knew what we were doing because two months later, I found out I was pregnant <laughs> with our first son, and his name is Lucas, and he is uh, on that side, I guess. On, I don't know. I'm not going to figure out which side that is for you. <laughs> uh, but he's eight years old. We call him Lou in our house, and that's because when he was a little guy, he could not say Lucas, he called himself Wu, and so we got Lou. And he is just a joy to us. He loves video games, he loves Super Mario, he's obsessed with Super Mario, and just big thanks to all of our youth students because they just play video games with him and are probably very patient with him when he doesn't know what he's doing. But he loves Super Mario, he loves Star Wars. Uh, if you were to ask him, for instance, like, hey, Lou, uh, what movie did Jar Jar Binks first appear in? He'd be like, easy, episode one. Um, yet we can't get him to memorize math facts. So <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's Lou. But uh, he loves biking around the neighborhood with his friends. So if you live in Charleswood, just, you can help us keep an eye out. Uh, on him, but he also loves being creative and he loves Legos and um, he can build the most amazing builds without any instructions and, and he just loves doing that and uh, just spending some time alone in the basement away from his sister and brother building down there. My favorite thing to do with him right now is nighttime, I go into his room and Stephen and I take turns, but we read the Action Bible uh, with him, which if you have young kids, get that Bible, it's amazing. It's like comic book style, so it's all the Bible characters talk in little like bubbles and we try and use different voices for him and he uses different voices and it's just a joy to be able to do uh, with him and I'm not looking forward to the day when he's like, I don't want you to read my action Bible with me anymore. <laughs> so I'm soaking it all in. <laughs> uh, he's, he, again, he's just the sweetest boy. He gives me the best hugs. He tells me he loves me and makes me feel like an incredible, mo incredible mom. And then we had our second born. <laughs> and her name is Rachel, and she is in the middle there. And she is six years old, and she's incredibly sassy. Um, she's also sweet, but mostly sassy. Um, she loves anything girly, so we're talking like makeup, big, huge bows. She loves uh, sequins, glitter, whatever makes a big mess, uh, crafts, glue. One time I went to the bathroom and I was like putting towels away in their bathroom and I found crafts like glue sticks, scissors, and paper where the towels go. Uh, I don't know why, but she was crafting in the bathroom. <laughs> um, she also loves YouTube, which please don't judge me. We know what she's watching. It's all good things. Um, but I don't really understand this whole YouTube fascination because the kids that she watches are playing with toys that she has. But nevertheless, she likes to watch her YouTube. And she would actually rather watch YouTube than um, like watch a movie or a show. 
Again, I don't understand, but whatever. <laughs> uh, she narrates her life, though, as if she were in a YouTube video. And so, for instance, if she's brushing her teeth, she'll grab her toothbrush and be like, okay, all right, guys, you grab your toothbrush, then you put your toothpaste on your toothbrush, just a little bit, not too much. Then you're going to run in under the water and brush your teeth until there's no sugar left. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe. <laughs> uh, we seriously tease, like, a video camera needs to be following her at all times because she is... She is just something. Um, if you guys could be praying for her, though, I'm just, <laughs> she, whew, she's, a, she's, a, she's a fun girl. So just be praying for her, because she's stubborn, and we need all the prayers we can get. Uh, but I know that she's going to change the world with her stubbornness for God's glory, right? Amen. <laughs> and then there's our sweet Tommy boy. Tommy, uh, in the, uh, Stephen's holding him there. And, and Tommy is 18 months old, a little over a year and a half, and He's just honestly the sweetest thing to happen to our family. And I cannot imagine going through this COVID season without our Tommy. Uh, he was born February 2020, so right before all the craziness happened. And just during a difficult season, it was a joy to have him there. <laughs> it was a joy to just experience new life and just all the goodness of God uh, through the birth of Tommy. And um, I just also forgot how much fun it is to watch children grow. Like, you know, my... The older two, they don't get excited when they see a lake. <laughs> but Tommy, it's like, oh my gosh, a lake. I've never seen that. I'm going to play with the sand, and I'm going to run into the waves. And just that excitement of when a dog walks by, it's like the best thing ever. And, and so he's just honestly been a joy to our life. But the one thing we've noticed this past summer is that Tommy is incredibly athletic. Um, he's like a short, chubby little baby, but he can throw the ball with like intensity and really good aim. It's quite something. And also he can um, kick, the, like, kick any size ball, like even a tiny little ball or the biggest soccer ball that you can find, and he can kick it, again, with intensity and aim. And then one, one day uh, this past summer, Tommy was playing around the backyard, and he grabbed like a regulation-sized soccer ball, and he was dribbling the soccer ball, which I don't know if you know what dribbling is, but that's when you're running and kicking the soccer ball at the same time. That's what he was doing, and we, I was just like, that is a sight to see because he's a short little chubby guy, not tripping over this massive soccer ball, but uh, he's just running back and forth in the backyard, and so again, we just love him, and we're excited to see him to con continue to grow and just his personality to continue take off. But that's our sweet family. Uh, again, we just, we just love our little family, but um, today I'm actually going to share with you my story, but before I do that, I want to open up in a word of prayer this morning. So if you'll join me. Jesus, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for my story. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take over, that I would get out of the way, and that you would speak through the story that you have given me. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a picture of my family growing up. This was in like 2006 or 2008. Uh, but this is my twin sister, Caitlin, on this side. Yes, we are actually twins. Nobody ever believed us. She does have naturally red hair. She is four inches taller than me. I don't understand. <laughs> and yes, that's me on that side. I used to have really curly hair, but then babies came and they just ruined your body. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't have curly hair anymore. <laughs> Um, but anyways, my twin sister, we're very different. We like different things. We're just different personalities. Um, but one important thing to note is if you know any twins or you happen to be a twin, it's incredibly important who is born first, and that was me. I was born first <laughs> by one minute, and let me tell you, you just don't let anyone forget that. So I'm the oldest in the family, obviously. <laughs> 
Um, and then over here in the middle there, that's my brother. He is my half-brother. He's actually six years younger than us. We have the same mom, different dads. He is 22 now, and he is 6'8". I'm 5'1", so <laughs> when, he, when I get around him, I feel very small, but I still remind him I'm your older sister. <laughs> Um, and then the back there, that's my mom, and her name is Rachel, and, and she was an amazing single mother. She was actually a makeup artist before that was like trendy and cool. Um, she would do makeup for weddings and for Channel 5 News from time to time, and, and she even got commissioned to do some well-known, like famous Minnesota uh, people for their weddings as well. She loved helping people feel better about themselves and felt like doing makeup was a way that she could do that. She always told us makeup is never meant to cover anything up but bring out the beauty that is already there. And that was her creative outlet and also, again, her way that she felt like she could help people. She was funny and very spontaneous. Um, I remember we would go out to eat and we would get in the parking lot or we'd be halfway there and she'd be like, ah, I don't want that anymore, I'm craving something else craving something else. And so then we'd go to a different restaurant. It was always an adventure. Uh, my mom was also very athletic. And I know you, she's like a beautiful, small woman, but she was very athletic. Uh, she, um, we would go for walks all the time. She would bring us down to Lake Harriet, which if you know Lake Harriet, it's a three-mile walk. And so when you're like a teenager and you're like, I'm going on a three-mile walk with my mom and she's going to talk to me the whole time. <laughs> That's what she did. Uh, but we went for lots of walks. We uh, would throw the baseball around in the backyard. She loved playing catch. She would bring my brother and I to the, the hockey rink and we'd skate around and we'd join pickup games together and she loved going to the uh, driving range and hitting the golf balls and anything outside and and uh, I remember this one specific day we were playing catch in the backyard and she brought both well interesting fact my mom was left-handed uh, but some sports she could play ambidextrous and so I remember one day we were in the backyard and she brought both her right hand and left-handed glove <laughs> because she wanted to, she was determined to figure out which arm felt stronger and better to her. Which, by the way, if she threw with her left hand or her right hand, they both stung when I caught it in my glove. But I remember she got so fed up, because she was like, I can't tell if this arm, if I feel more comfortable with this arm or this arm. So she decided to catch and throw with her left hand. So she would throw the ball, pick up her glove, put it on. I would throw the ball back to her. She would catch it with her left hand, take the glove off, and then throw it back. <laughs> so it was a sight to see, but we just laughed and laughed about it. Uh, my mom was also an incredible baker, and she loved making treats for us kids. And I remember when we were teenagers, she uh, would use her treats as a way to come into wherever we were hanging out with our friends. So if my girlfriends and I were hanging out in the basement or in my room or whatever, she'd bring her plate full of treats in there just to check up on us. I knew what she was doing. I don't think my friends knew, but I do fully intend on using that little trick when my kids are teenagers someday. My mom was also a fierce protector of her children. Um, I could share countless stories of her just being an advocate for us, but my favorite story of her protection over us was actually when I was about 11 years old. And uh, my sister, my cousin, and I were, we were up at Breezy Point Resort and we were running around uh, and we felt really cool. And then these uh, probably about 15 year old group of boys uh, followed us and they were just saying inappropriate, dirty, disgusting things and I ran back and I told my mom and I've never seen her move faster. She sprang up from her seat, she went and found those boys, she got in their face and shook her finger while her nostrils were flaring because that would happen when she would get mad and she was like, you do not talk to girls that way, that is disrespectful and if I find out you do it again, I'm going to find your mothers. 
And so I was slightly embarrassed and mortified, but also felt very validated and protected in that moment. Uh, it's a, it's, that's a funny one to look back on. But my mom was also our biggest cheerleader. And because she was a single parent, she often couldn't make it to all my sporting events and, and my um, soccer uh, games and tournaments. But when she was there, she would come with her high heels on and come from work after doing makeup all day. And she would cheer us on. And she told us we could always do anything that we set our mind to. My mom would say that she, didn't grow, she grew up knowing about God, but didn't really develop a relationship with God until I was about seven or eight after she was going through a difficult divorce from my half-brother's dad. One of the cool things is that we actually got to grow in our faith together. Uh, lots of times I would come to her with questions or I would say, I don't understand this, and she didn't have the answers, and so she would pull, we would both pull out our Bibles at the kitchen table and we would try to find the answers together. So we, we learned and we grew together. I remember my mom's favorite book in uh, middle school and high school was The Power of the Praying Parent by Stormy O'Martin. And I remember many times asking her to stop reading that book. <laughs> But that book was always on her nightstand, and some nights she would fall asleep reading it, and so it would be in the bed next to her the next morning. And she would tell us kids, I'm praying if you do anything bad that I'll find out. And I was a pretty good kid. I'd, I was pretty obedient. Uh, but anytime I lied, she knew, <laughs> and it was scary. <laughs> um, and uh, she would always uh, fall asleep again, like I said, reading the Bible. I would walk into her room, and she would... Uh, as I would say goodnight, Mom, and she would be in her bed reading her Bible, and she would highlight scripture, and she also wanted it to be in the house. And I remember she would talk about how she never memorized scripture as a kid, but she wanted us to because she wanted us to have that tool of being able to fight the enemy. And I don't know, getting your teenagers to memorize scripture verses isn't very easy. <laughs> I didn't want to memorize scripture. But so she went out to TJ Maxx, and she bought the biggest chalkboard you could find and hung it up in our kitchen. And she would write a verse up there for us to look at every day and try and memorize. The last verse that I remember memorizing as a family was John 10.10. 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. In the mornings, I would wake up and my mom would be watching some preacher on like TBN, which is like the Christian Broadcasting Network. And she'd be listening to them as she was getting ready for the day. And... Um, she just always then would preach at us, what she just was preached to by Pastor John Hagee. <laughs> but my mom also used her testimony for good. When my mom was 19, she actually put a baby up for adoption. And one day I remember coming home from high school, I think I was in 10th grade, and I found a girl sitting on the couch next to my mom, and, and I knew who she was. She was a couple years older than us in, in school, and, and uh, my mom looked at us and said, get out of the house, we're having a serious conversation. And it wasn't until later I realized that that girl had serious concerns that she was pregnant and was confiding in my mom. She also, my mom also led a table, uh, an alpha table, which is like a small group at the church that we were a part of. And my mom was shy and she didn't like to be put on the spot and she didn't want to do it, but she said the Holy Spirit was calling her to do it. And so she was going to obey. And one night at the table, at her alpha table at church, there was a woman there who didn't have a Bible and couldn't afford one. And, and I remember my mom said that she felt like she was supposed to give this woman her Bible but didn't want to because she highlighted verses that were special to her and had written intimate prayers to the Lord in that Bible, but she did anyways. I remember she also talked about how seriously she took the principle of tithing, which is giving your 10% 
to your church. I remember she would get paid, you know, t- t- two times a month, and, sh- and then she would bring uh, her checkbook to church twice a month. And it was a beautiful picture for us kids to watch her write out this check in faith. And, and I remember um, she would always say, I, I have to tithe because every time I don't, something bad happens. <laughs> Even if I feel like I don't know how to pay this bill at the end of the month, God will provide, and I'm going to do it, because if not, he'll make it clear that I was supposed to. Looking back, again, it was such a beautiful thing for us teenagers to see a mom, a single mom, that was trusting God with her finances. My mom was strong, and she talked about how hard it is to be a single mom, and, and sometimes she said, I, I overreact sometimes because I don't have anyone to tap out to and say, I've had enough of these kids. And so sometimes she would say things that she regretted, but then she would come into our room that night and apologize. She modeled the importance of apologizing really well to us kids. In July 2010, I had the opportunity to go on a missions trip with my church to Belize. And I remember one afternoon on this missions trip, we were um, at Mayan ruins, and, and at these Mayan ruins, evil, horrific things had taken place, like um, infant sacrifice and human sacrifice. You could just feel the heaviness of this place. And, and we were all seeking God and praying, and, and I was praying, and I asked the Lord to give me a scripture verse. And I felt the Holy Spirit had led me to Psalm 27. And as I was reading Psalm 27, I got to verse 10, which says, even if your father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. And I remember reading that verse and I started to cry because I did feel abandoned by my earthly father as he's not in my life. But I was so thankful in that moment to have an incredibly awesome mom, but I couldn't shake that verse. It stuck with me forever. You see, 2010 was a really hard year for our family. We had some things arise and I could tell my mom was stressed and I could tell that she was tired. On August 12th that year, uh, there was a terrible storm that came through. And it was just me and my mom in the house that night, and it was the middle of the night, and I was sleeping, and all of a sudden, a loud crack happened, and the power went out. Again, it was just me and my mom in the house that night, and my room was downstairs, and hers was upstairs, and and I felt like I was a five-year-old girl. Like, I was terrified, even though I was 17. So I ran as fast as I could with my heart racing up to my mom's room, and whipped open the door and jumped in her bed. And I just remember she was laughing, thinking, oh my gosh, probably like you are 17 years old. It's just a storm. But that storm is actually a gift from God to me. At the time, I didn't know that that would be the last night that I would spend with my mom. On August 13th, the following day, I was excited because I was going to my boyfriend's house, Stephen. I was going to his house to meet his grandparents for the first time and have dinner. And as I was getting ready to leave, my mom was on the phone and she was talking to a friend and I could tell this friend was being awful to her and saying very hurtful things to her. But she gave me a hug and she said goodbye. And about 10 minutes later, she called me and she was in tears and she said that the conversation that they had was terrible and it was hurtful and that he had said some terrible things to her. Then she, said she, then she stopped crying and she said she was okay. She told me to have fun, to use my manners, and to not be late for curfew. That was the last time that I heard my mom's voice. After dinner that night when I was at Stephen's parents' house, I received a text message from my grandpa and it said, where are you? 
come to, my, come to our house right now. And I could tell in the tone of that text message something was wrong. I could feel it in my heart. My heart began to race. I knew something was wrong. Stephen's parents' house and my grandparents' house happens to be like a mile away from each other, so I got there very quickly. And I walked in the door and immediately I could see that something was not right. Uh, my grandparents were both shaken and weeping. And I remember immediately saying, where's mom? Where's mom? My grandpa grabbed my hands and he led me to the chair and sat me down and he said, your mom passed away and she took her life. I was in complete shock. I couldn't feel my body. I didn't feel like I was physically there. It didn't feel real. And I remember hearing somebody say, she's in shock, she's in shock, take her car keys away, don't let her get up out of that seat. You see, no one knew that that night was gonna end that way. No one knew the silent battle that my mom was facing. There was zero indication of depression, let alone suicidal thoughts. I remember the next morning after I didn't sleep that night and I was at my grandparents' house and, and I remember getting up and going outside and just feeling broken and, and my car was in their driveway and I knelt beside the car and I just yelled to God. I got on my hands and knees and said, God, why? Why me? I don't want this life. I don't want this to be my story. I don't want to have to pack up all my things for my mom's house and move in with my grandparents. I don't want to have to put on a funeral for my mom. I don't want to have to graduate from high school this year and not have any parents there to stand and cheer me on. I don't want to get married someday and not have a parent there for me. I don't want to have kids someday and, not have and them to not have grandparents. I don't want this life, God. But I'm sure every single person sitting here in this room has thought the same thing. Why me, God? Why is this happening to me? Why is this suffering, this broken relationship happening to me? Why do I fall into the same trap of sin over and over and over again? God, why me? But I need to tell you something powerful today. Jesus said the same thing. I've been reading the book of Mark over the past month and a half, and I came across this familiar passage, but this time as I read it, it hit me like I'd never been hit before. We see in Mark uh, 14, picking up in verse 32, that Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and he knows the death that he is about to face, and he feels the anguish, the Bible says, even to the point of death. He feels the suffering that is about to take place. He asked his disciples to keep watch and pray while he goes to pray. We pick up in verse 35 and it says he, talking about Jesus, went a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed, if it were possible, the hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. We're gonna stop there for a minute. But as I was reading this verse, um, I kept getting this picture of like a parent serving their child a plate of like the most disgusting food. Like I was thinking of canned spinach, I don't know why. <laughs> but I kept picturing um, a parent serving this to a child and the child is saying, I don't want that, I don't want that, I'm not eating that, no way I might take it back, give me something better. And essentially that's what Jesus was saying here. I know you have something better, I don't want that. 
I'm not eating that. Take this plate of suffering that you have placed in front of me away from me. Give me something else. Take it back. I know you're all powerful. Take it back. Do you understand how powerful it is that Jesus Christ, who is fully God and made himself fully human, understands suffering? Do you understand how human that makes God, that he said, I don't want this. I don't want what's awaiting me. Continuing on, we see Jesus ends his prayer with, yet I want your will to be done and not mine. So here's the deal. If Jesus was raw and real about his suffering, we get to be real and raw about our suffering. We don't have to act like everything is pretty. We don't have to act like everything is okay. We too can say, God, I don't want this. But here's the catch. If we end the prayer with simply, God, I don't want this, I truly believe it almost gives the enemy a foothold into your suffering. It's like sitting down amidst a battle with no intention of getting back up. It's forgetting the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to you, and it's forgetting that Jesus already won. Now, we can sit down in our suffering. We should experience the pain that we are enduring. In fact, that's incredibly healthy. It's not healthy when we put it in the closet and walk away. But when we don't get to the place of surrender, saying, not my will, but yours be done, we don't get to see that full healing take place. So as I said, the next morning after my mom passed away and I knelt down and made it very clear to God how I was feeling, he spoke to me that morning. And only one time in my life have I audibly heard the voice of God, but he said, I will use this pain if you let me. And that made it very clear to me that God has a purpose for our pain. There is no pain that you endure that God doesn't plan on redeeming. There is no suffering that you walk through that God doesn't have a plan to make something beautiful out of. We don't suffer for the sake of suffering. While I don't understand why God allows terrible things to happen here on earth, I can tell you I know that God is good. I know that God is trustworthy, and I know that he takes the most broken of messes and turns them into the most beautiful thing. Now, you might be thinking, I don't hear anything beautiful about her story. And honestly, it's been very hard. It has been. But the power of the Holy Spirit has come in and done only what he can do. He has set me free. He has made me a new creation. He has not given me a, a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He calls me more than a conqueror. He calls me his child. He is close to me in my most broken moments. He has redeemed me, and he has shown me that just because my past is broken doesn't mean that my future has to be. You see, when we surrender our pain and our suffering and our failures and our fears and our sins and our disappointments over to Jesus, God uses it in a way that you could never imagine. The suffering that I've been through actually makes me a better person. Um, it makes me a better wife. It makes me a better mom. It makes me a better friend. It makes me a better pastor. I cannot tell you the amount of times that I have talked to teenagers and even adults about anxiety, depression, self-harm, and suicidal thoughts. I've sat in the hospital room two times with people who have attempted to, take attempted to take their lives. I've listened to students talk about their broken families or about the divorce that their parents are going through. I've listened to, to students talk about the broken homes that they are in, and I 
empathize with them. And I get to look them in the face and tell them, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that this is what you're walking through. But I promise you that God has a plan and he has a purpose for your pain. It's something greater than you could ever imagine. And I can tell you that's true because God has done that for me. That's my story. So here's the de deal. As we close today, I want you to think about what you are not surrendering to God. What is holding you back from God using you just as he wants to? Is it maybe the fact that you think you can do it all on your own? Or is it maybe a, a broken relationship that you have that you just don't know how to fix on your own? Is it a sin that you keep stumbling over that you can't imagine God redeeming? Because if that's the fact, if it's a sin that you're stumbling over, let me just tell you, open up your Bible. <laughs> the Bible is full of people that are broken and make the dumbest mistakes. And then God redeems them for his glory. So as we close, I want you to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you a couple questions. The first question I'm going to ask you is, do you know Jesus? Because you can today. You have the opportunity right now for Jesus to come into your life and change the trajectory of it. If you have never asked him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, you get to do that right now. Maybe just raise your hand as a sign of saying, Jesus, I surrender all to you. I surrender all to you. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you are good. I believe that all authority belongs to you. I believe that your word is true. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Set my feet on solid ground. Give me a purpose, Jesus. You can do that today. The second question I have for you today is, are you in tune with the Holy Spirit? Sometimes I think we're afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit, but there's no reason to be. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is available to you. But I have to tell you, he's a quiet gentleman. Sometimes we forget he's there. But I have to tell you, I couldn't imagine going through anything that I have been through without the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it was good for him to go away and die that death on the cross so that the Holy Spirit could come and be available to us. And when we live in accordance with the Holy Spirit, do you know what we get? We get a counselor, we get a comforter, we get a friend, we get wisdom. The Bible says if you lack wisdom, all you have to do is ask for it. And we have power. This isn't just some small power either. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That is available to us at all times. It's mighty. It changes our lives. So if you're sitting at your seat today and you feel like, yeah, I need that Holy Spirit. I need to live by that Holy Spirit. I need to have him in control. Ask him to minister to your heart. Ask him to help you start listening. He will. And the last question I have for you today is, are you suffering? And if you answer that question with, yeah, I am. I am so sorry, and I wish that wasn't the case for you. But the good news is that the Bible tells us that God himself is close to the brokenhearted. 
He is with you in your pain. He is with you in the darkest hours. The Bible says that as we walk through the shadow of the death, your rod and your staff are there to comfort and protect us. The Bible says that he holds all of our tears in the palm of his hand. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And in fact, he's fighting on your behalf right now. If you are struggling, please seek help. Hear me say this. There is no shame in asking for help. I've done all the things. Grief counseling, trauma counseling, medication. I've seen a doctor. I've seen a therapist. There's no shame in needing medication. There's no shame in needing a therapist. There's no shame in needing a recovery group. In fact, these are actually common graces given to us by the hand of God himself. And if you're struggling with your mental health, please get help. Do it now. Don't wait. You are meant to be here. You are meant to be here. God has a plan and a purpose for your life that only you can accomplish through Jesus Christ. If you say, yes, I'm suffering at the end of the service today, I'm going to challenge you to come forward and um, ask for prayer with one of our team, our prayer team members. I'm also going to challenge you to get help. Take the steps that the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. And if you can't get help on your, home, on your own and need someone to lift up your arms while you are seeking help, that's exactly what the body of Christ is for. We all will need help at one time or another. Welcome to the club. So I'm going to close in prayer, and then I want people to just leave this room quietly. If you need to continue to meet with the Lord, please do that. But of course, come forward for prayer if you say, yes, I'm suffering. Jesus, I thank you that no person is too broken. No person is too far gone. No person is too stuck in their sin for you to redeem and use for your glory. I thank you that you give us purpose, Jesus. You give us a plan. I pray for every person that feels like they're in a spot of suffering right now, Jesus, that you would be close to them, that you would remind them that you walk beside them, that you are with them, that you have a plan and you have a purpose, and that you will make something beautiful out of what they are walking through. Holy Spirit, just minister to people's hearts. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. I thank you for writing our stories, God. And even when we don't understand what we're walking through, God, we trust you. We trust you have a plan. We trust that you are faithful because you've always shown yourself faithful. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. So prayer team, you guys can come on forward. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next week. God bless. <laughs>